Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. This week, we are going to be talking about how to raise the stakes in your screenwriting. This is probably one of the most confusing notes that people tend to get from producers and, and one of the most popular. Raise the stakes, raise the stakes, raise the stakes. But what are stakes? And why is it that you can blow something up, burn $3 million, shoot at a baby, and it can still feel like there are no stakes? And then you can watch a show like The Gilded Age where the stakes are who's going to come to what dinner party and feel like the stakes are actually really high. So what are stakes anyway? How do they work? And I'm going to give you a simple five-step process that you can follow to make sure that stakes are actually happening in your screenplay without feeling like you have to blow something up every time you get a note from a producer. Okay. So I think that one of the biggest confusions about stakes is that people think that stakes are about what happens. And I think the Gilded Age is probably proof that that is certainly not the case. What happens is probably a lot less important than what it means to the character that that it's happening to. Um, and, and even that is less important than what is driving the character that it's happening to. Because if something's happening to a character, but we're not actually connected to what matters to that character and the journey of that character, then the what happens doesn't really matter. And that's why you can do a lot of big, spectacular things to your character and still have the feeling that there are no stakes in your screenplay. Stakes actually begin with empathy. Um, we feel stakes when we connect to a character on the screen, big screen or small screen, and we see a tiny piece of ourselves up there. We connect to them. We empathize with them. We feel the world, what it would feel like to be in their shoes. This is why we cringe when we watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, and this is why we care when we watch The Gilded Age. It's not because of the what's happening. It's because of the what it means to the character. And in order to develop that what does it mean to the character, there are a couple steps that you can follow. Now, the first step is really, really simple, which is make sure you know what the character wants. And uh, the more specific you can be about what they want, the better. Now, Notice I'm not talking about the audience yet. There's a whole other level of structure that I call secondary structure that we build, which is about how you communicate this stuff to the audience. And that stuff's really complicated. That takes a long time to learn. That takes a lot of practice and experience. Whereas these skills that I'm giving you right now are skills that you can actually use right now very intuitively uh, without having a tremendous amount of craft behind you. So just starting out by going, do I know what the character wants? Um, and you'll be surprised how often you realize that you don't. And if you don't, don't freak out, right? Okay, I've got a bunch of cool stuff happening. I got some cool images. I got some cool lines of dialogue, but I, I actually don't know what the character wants. Okay, well, choose something. Uh, because the what of what your character wants matters much less than the that your character wants something. It's that want that is going to create the feeling of movement for the character and that, that ultimately is going to help us build empathy for that character and, and therefore feel the stakes that something actually matters to them. 
So if you don't know what your character wants, don't stress about it. Look around the room and pick up something. Uh, this character wants a staple remover. And you might think that a staple remover is a pretty crappy object to build a scene around. Uh, but again, the what it is doesn't actually matter. So I'm going to teach you how we can build the same stakes we would have in an action movie around a staple remover. And here's how that works. So number one, we now know what the character wants. Jake wants a staple remover. Um, the next step is to make sure that Jake is actually taking steps to get it, right? If Jake desperately wants a staple remover and we don't know that he's trying to get a staple remover, he's just sitting around the house watching the Gilded Age on television, then even if he desperately wants the staple remover, we're not gonna know. Now, in if you're writing a novel, if you're writing a poem, you can go inside your character's head and understand the want in that way. But when you're writing a screenplay, you need to externalize those internal desires. And the way we externalize those internal desires is through action. We need our character to take action so that we can raise the stakes. Stakes come from your character doing things. If your character is not doing things, it doesn't matter what you do to them. It doesn't matter what happens to them. It doesn't matter what happens in your plot. If your character is not doing things, there are going to be no stakes because whatever's happening isn't going to matter to them in a way that your audience can actually understand. Now, notice still, we're not talking about the audience yet. We're not talking about how to communicate that Jake wants the staple remover to the audience. We're just going, does Jake want the staple remover? Is he taking steps to get it? Okay, he just picked it up. He, he's taking a step to get it. Uh, but you probably noticed that there still feels like there are no stakes. Okay, so he wanted a staple remover. He came into his office. He picked up a staple remover. He started removing some staples. Um, what we have now is a super boring scene with no stakes. Um, and it would be exactly the same thing if Jake picked up a briefcase with $3 trillion in it as it would with the staple remover. If your character just gets what they want without even having to try, there are going to be no stakes in your script because we're never going to know how much Jake actually wants this staple remover, what Jake was willing to do for this staple remover, what the staple remover means to him. We won't be able to tell ourselves that story unless we do step number three. So number one, do you know what they want? Number two, are they taking active steps to get it? Number three, make it hard. So if I take the same staple remover, but this time when Jake shows up at his office to remove the staples that he loves to remove, um, the staple remover is gone. It is not in its traditional place on his desk. So he starts looking around, right? He starts shuffling through the papers on his desk. He upends his laptop. He starts pulling all the books off of his shelves. He starts rifling through drawers. Now the whole office is a total disaster. He overturns the bureau. Looking behind it, he pulls all the objects out of his closet. We might not even know what Jake is looking for yet, but do you see how the stakes suddenly raised? The stakes raised because Jake is now making choices that he would not normally make 
to get the staple remover. We don't even need to know what the object he's seeking is. We can start to feel empathy. We can start to care because we can see how important this object is to Jake. Along the way, we're also doing something really cool, which is we're getting to learn more about Jake. Like you knew Jake as the nice guy who does podcasting. You didn't know the insane Jake who's willing to destroy his entire office looking for staple remover. If you're enjoying this podcast, tag us at the JK studio uh, with your screenwriting questions, and you may get selected to be the topic of a future podcast. So what starts to happen is we start to understand more about the character. The character starts to make choices that she or he or they would not have made in the past. And what starts to happen is we start to empathize. We start to hope that Jake gets whatever Jake is looking for. We start to feel how important it is, even though it's just a staple remover. Step number four, make it harder. Uh, and uh, I love this step because this is the step that most screenwriters mess up on. Um, most screenwriters have this urge to take their foot off the gas pedal, right? They have this urge to make it easier for their characters. Um, okay, you know, Jake looked around his office. There is the staple remover in the corner. Thank goodness. Okay, Whew. it's over, right? Ah, uh, well, he tried and he got it. Ah, I feel so much better. We, we do this because there's a part of us that sees ourselves in these characters and we don't want to hurt them. We, we love them. They're, they're our babies. But we have to torture them, right? We have to make it hard and then we have to make it harder because if it doesn't get harder, we're never going to get to really know the character and we're never going to get to really know the stakes. So when your character is down, that's when you want to kick him right? When your character is struggling, that's where you want to make it even harder. So raise the stakes by making it hard and then raise the stakes again by making it even harder. So Jake goes through his entire office. He fails to find the staple remover. It's now a disaster. He's now working his way through his house, overturning everything. He's in the kitchen, dumping things out of the junk drawer. He is in the garage, pulling boxes off of the shelves, right? He is looking everywhere for this until his search for the staple remover is completely dead. It is not in this house. That's when he realizes he's going to have to go to Staples and buy a new one. So he goes to get in the car. The car won't freaking start. The battery is dead. He left the door open last night. Okay. He's got to get to Staples there. So he starts ringing the doorbells of his friends um, no, nobody's home. Nobody's home. Nobody's home. Uh-oh. That one neighbor across the street is home. Now, the truth is my neighbors are the nicest people in the world, but we're just going to pretend, right, that that's the bad neighbor. That's the neighbor that nobody talks to, especially Jake. That's the neighbor that stole his snowblower when he loaned it to him. That's the neighbor who's constantly spreading rumors in the neighborhood. That's the neighbor who brings his dog over to poop in Jake's yard, right? That is the horrible neighbor, and Jake has sworn to never speak to him again. But there he is, sitting beside his, you know, nicely polished Chevy Bolt. It's a car. Can get Jake to Staples. And we watch Jake lower his head and his pride and 
slug across the street to go talk to that neighbor, to go prostrate himself and ask for that car so that he can get to Staples. And do you see how the stakes raised and raised and raised and raised? Um, we now actually can understand how important this is to Jake, that Jake is actually talking to the neighbor. And we're also getting to see a different side of Jake, right? Before we saw the maniac Jake dumping stuff off his bookshelves, destroying his house, looking for something. Now we are seeing a different side of Jake. We are seeing the humbled Jake, right? Jake is making a choice that Jake has never made before. This is probably not the first time that Jake has knocked everything off his shelves looking for some object that he couldn't find, right? He went to that really quick. But now we're getting Jake to make the choices that he wouldn't make before. And you can see that the stakes are raising. And, and another thing is happening that's really cool, which is a relationship is building where none existed before. because. Now, this is not just the scene about the stapler. This is the beginning of a relationship between Jake and that horrible neighbor that is ultimately going to change Jake's life forever. So maybe this is the beginning of a friendship. Maybe this is the beginning of a war. It doesn't matter. The stakes are growing because we made it hard and then we made it harder. So step number one, make sure you know what the character wants. Step number two, make sure the character is taking actions to get it, that they're making choices, that they are active. Number three, make it hard. Number four, make it harder. And notice we still haven't actually done any exposition for the audience, right? For all the audience knows, the audience might not even know that it's a staple remover that Jake is going across the street for. They just know that Jake's car won't start. He's looking for something. And now he is prostrating himself before this horrible neighbor who is going to torture him before finally Jake can win that car or a ride or a jump start or whatever it takes for Jake to get to Staples. A ride would probably be the best because then we get to build more relationship between him and the next door neighbor. So do you see how we've built stakes off of this random object? Right? And this is so important. This is the difference between plot and structure, right? We think that our stakes are growing out of our plot, but they are not. Our stakes are growing out of our structure, and our structure grows out of what your character wants and what makes it hard. So if you do these four steps, number one, do I know what the character wants? Number two, are they taking active steps to get it? Number three, Am I making it hard? Number four, am I making it harder? You're going to be 70% of the way to building stakes. There is one more layer to stakes that is more intuitive, more complicated. And this is step number five, which is connecting to the emotional need of your character. Uh, now, at the studio, we teach some more advanced techniques for connecting to emotional needs, some meditative techniques, some hypnotic techniques, because a lot of us as people are disconnected from our emotional needs. We're, we're connected to the tangible things we want. We know we want to win an Academy Award. We know we want the big contract. We know we want the new car. We know we want the lover of our dreams. We know that we want the vacation, right? We, we know we want those. We know we want the stable remover, right? We know the things that we want, but we are often disconnected from the emotional needs underneath. This is especially true in movies and TV shows. In, in real life, it, there's a real staple remover. If I'm in a car chase, it's a real car chase. But 
in a movie, in a TV show, on some level, even though we're suspending disbelief, we know it's not real. We know it's fiction. It's not a real $3 trillion that we just burned. It's not a real baby that we just shot at. It is not real bullets. It is not a real heist, right? That's why we need the emotional need underneath. Uh, we need the emotional need underneath because that is what the audience is really connecting to. Beyond that, most of us are never going to be in the situations of our characters, right? Most of us are never going to be Rocky trying to win the first fight. And most of us are never going to be Bertha trying to get the right snobs to show up for our dinner party at our giant mansion, right? That is not most of our lives. So we're not actually connecting when we watch uh, any show or any movie. We're not actually connecting to the tangible object that the character wants. What we're actually connecting to is the emotional need underneath. We're actually connecting to the core primal need that everybody shares. That's what makes our writing universal. At the end of the day, if Jake is going for a staple remover just to get staples, there is a limit to how much we are going to care about it. But if Jake is going for the staple remover because Jake needs justice, because people are always taking his staple remover, because things are always disappearing for his life, there's going to be a whole other level of emotional charge to that journey. If Jake is going for the staple remover because he needs validation and he's got to get his application in, there's going to be a whole different level of feeling to that. It's going to inflect every word he says, every action he takes. It is going to change who he is. If it's about respect, if it's about connection, if it's about love, it's about meaning, it's about transcendence, right? But it's about safety, right? These are the things that actually tie us together as human beings. These are the things that give us connection. And these are the things that build empathy. Um, so you don't have to tell people the emotional need, just like in life, you don't need to tell people your emotional need. We feel the emotional need. That's where the empathy comes from. We can, you can feel when somebody is actually emotionally connected to what they're going for versus when they are going through the motions. And you can feel the difference in stakes in your real life when the emotional need is active in the same way that you can feel the difference in a script when the emotional need is active. So the emotional need is a complex subconscious thing that happens under the surface. If you want to get really good at learning how to deal with emotional needs, how to connect to emotional needs, take the Write Your Screenplay class, take the master class. Those are places where we have the time to fully explore that in a safe way because getting to your own emotional needs is really the first step of connecting to your character's emotional needs. And sometimes that's about kind of stripping back the layers right? Between you and what's actually going on in the surface. That's about recognizing that your own tangible objects are also metaphors. They are stand-ins that help you believe that the emotional need will be met, right? They are metaphors for something emotional that is going on with you. That is why you're so driven. And that's not because you're crazy. That's because you're human, right? This is actually how human psychology works. And that's why it's how character psychology works. And it's why it's connected to stakes. You have probably at some point 
lost your mind on Verizon Wireless. You're not losing your mind on Verizon Wireless because of the $9 discrepancy in your bill. You're losing your mind on Verizon Wireless because of your need for respect or because of your need for justice, right? The Verizon Wireless bill is just a metaphor for the need underneath, right? So the same way it happens in life, that's how it happens in screenplays. We need to be connected to the emotional need. Otherwise, all this stuff that we're writing is just going to feel surfacey. And even if you're doing all the technical elements right, without the emotional need underneath, it's going to feel artificial. It's going to feel false. It's going to feel disconnected. And your audience is going to have a hard time connecting to the need. And in that way, they're going to have a hard time connecting to the stakes. So all of writing is two parts of our mind, right? There's the conscious mind, which is the first four steps. Do I know what they want? Are they taking steps to get it? Are they, am I making it hard? Am I making it harder? And then there's the subconscious mind, which is the fifth step, right? Which is, am I connected? Can I feel the need inside of them? If you want to get better at connecting to emotional needs on your own, a simple way to start is just to observe people. Notice when people are acting a little nuts, right? When you're aunt is driving you crazy over something, when your friend is in, a, in, is in a tizzy over something that seems so small, when somebody is driven for passion for something that, that doesn't even make sense to you, right? When you see people acting a little nuts, whether it's in a beautiful way or a horrible way, instead of being upset with them, ask yourself, what's going on underneath? What emotional need are they trying to meet? Is it love? Is it comfort? Is it justice? Is it validation? Is it respect? Is it meaning? Is it transcendence? Is it safety? Is it connection, right? What core universal need are they trying to meet? And by observing it in others, it becomes easier to start to recognize it in yourself. And then as you start to recognize it in yourself, it becomes easier to pass it on to your characters. If you're enjoying this podcast, well, come study with me. You can do it for free every Thursday night. Thursday Night Writes is an incredible community of writers from all over the world. 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific. We get together for an hour. I bring special guests. We talk screenwriting. We do writing exercises. We get feedback on pitches. It's an incredible experience, an incredible community, and it's free. You can find out more about that at writeyourscreenplay.com slash Thursday. So these are the five steps to creating stakes. Number one, do you know what they want? Number two, are they taking steps to get it? Number three, make it hard. Number four, make it harder. Number five, connect to the emotional need. If you are doing those things, you probably have stakes literally regardless of what is happening in your plot. And just to prove that to you, let's talk about the Gilded Age. So let's just start with Bertha Russell. Does Julian Fellows know what she wants? Yeah, you bet he does. Bertha Russell wants to be Mrs. Astor. How does she want to do it? She wants the right people to show up to her giant mansion that she has built in a part of town that she is not supposed to live in. She wants the right people to show up. She wants her children to marry the right people. And she wants her social standing to rise to be accepted as a member of this society. 
That's what she wants. Is she taking steps to get it? You bet. She is taking steps at literally every moment and she is willing to sacrifice pretty much anything to get the right people to show up for her dinner party. She is willing to do anything to get what she wants and she is trying all the time. Literally every episode is just another scheme of Bertha to try to get the right people to show up for her dinner party. What's the obstacle? The obstacle is that despite all of Bertha's money, she's got all the money in the world, this is not something you can buy in this society. You can't even buy theater tickets if you are not old money. In this society, if you're old money, you're in, and if you're new money, you are out, and there is no way up the ladder, not even if you are as rich as Bertha. What makes it harder? Well, she's just built a giant mansion across the street from the most rigidly conservative old money person in the world, Aunt Agnes, right? Who will literally never step foot into her house. What makes it harder? Her daughter is desperate to get married and she cannot come out into society until Bertha can get the right guest to show up for her party. What makes it harder? Her son wants to become an architect, which is an unacceptable job. And her husband, despite putting up initial resistance, is actually supporting it. What makes it harder? Her husband is embroiled in a scandal. And though he is the perfect husband and just a lovely robber baron, which we'll leave that discussion of how nice robber barons must have been um, for another podcast where I can get political. But she has a perfect husband who is just a lovely, lovely, lovely robber baron. And um, they have a loving, wonderful relationship. But as he is embroiled in this life or death scandal that could bring down his whole business, her obsession, even in the wake of that, with status and rising in society is starting to put pressure on their perfect relationship, even though they love and support each other, right? The stakes of this are not as high for him as they are for her, and he's not fully understanding why this is so important for her. What makes it harder? Well, the boy across the street, Oscar, is wooing her daughter. And this seems like a great thing because this is an opportunity to potentially marry her daughter to the right kind of guy and move herself and her family up in society. Except there's one problem, which is that he is gay and he's really using her daughter as a beard and her daughter is falling for it hook, line, and sinker. And when this happens to her, this is probably going to destroy her daughter's life, even if it does raise their status in society. So there are all these things making it harder. And there's more, right? Her, uh, her handmaid is scheming. Her butler does not know the English style of setting the silverware and the, the cups and the plates. Um, and in order to get the English style, she's going to need to bring in the butler from across the street, which obviously won't go very well with Agnes. Um, her, her French chef turns out not to actually be from France. And when she fires him and tries to replace him, 
She ends up hiring a drunk who's not even able to pro provide the most important dinner, right? All of these things are making it harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. So number five, are we connected to the emotional need? Yeah, you bet we are, right? Look, most of us don't give a crap about the English style of setting silverware, right? Most of us don't give a crap about a bunch of snobs showing up for a dinner party. The reason we're connected to Bertha is because we can feel her need for respect. And potentially we can also feel her need for justice. And that's what allows us to root for her and care for her. We're not rooting for the right snobs to show up for her dinner party. We're rooting for her to have respect and justice. We're connected to the emotional need, and that is where the stakes are coming from, even though the actual events are incredibly low stakes. Let's do Marion. Marion, what does she want? She wants Tom Rakes. Is she taking steps to get him? Yeah, you bet she is. She is sneaking out. She is arranging clandestine meetings. She is, she is plotting to actually secretly elope, right? She is taking steps to get him. What makes it hard? Well, she has come to New York with literally nothing and been taken in by her aunts and Ada and Aunt Agnes. And Aunt Agnes is never, ever, 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 ever going to approve a wedding to a man like Tom Rakes, a lawyer, a working person, right? He is too far below her in class. And, and pursuing this relationship is potentially going to cost her her relationship with Aunt Agnes the person that she depends on for everything and the person who has been kind to her and helped her in her moment of need. It's going to mean building fortitude in herself, standing up to her aunt, right? Becoming a stronger person. These are the things that make it hard. What makes it harder? Even Aunt Ada isn't fully on board for this, even though she can be swayed. What makes it harder? Tom Rakes might not actually be the person that she thinks he is. In fact, it seems like he's a player who is wooing every woman in New York. Uh, what makes it harder? After she has risked everything for him, he's not even going to show up to elope with her. So finally, can, are we connected to the emotional need? Yeah, you bet we are. Her emotional need is love. It's love that is making her stand up to Aunt Agnes. It's the desire for love. It is the belief that she is going to get love, that true loving relationship from Tom Rakes that makes her grow and change and make all these big choices for herself in this script. And even though she's not going to actually get that emotional need for, from Tom, that's what makes it so devastating. That's where the stakes are coming from. Let's do Peggy. Do we know what Peggy wants? Yes, we know what Peggy wants. Peggy wants her child back. And what's interesting is for most of the episodes, we don't even know what the thing she wants is, but Julian Fellows knows. And number two, she is taking active steps to get it. She's arranging clandestine meetings with Tom. She is avoiding her family. She is 
She is putting up barriers between to keep the secret, right? She is taking action. She is searching for the child, right? She is taking action throughout the series to try to get what she wants, even though it's a secret and we don't know what the want is. Number three, what makes it hard? What makes it hard is that her father literally stole this child from her and gave it away for adoption. What makes it harder? What makes it harder is Tom is not able to track down the child. Sorry. What makes it harder is that her mom is trying to facilitate a reconnection with her father. What makes it harder is that she cannot track down the child on her, on her own. What makes it harder is that she's going to eventually have to use her father to get to the child and it's not something her father is willing to give. What makes it harder is that she's a black woman in New York in the Gilded Age. What makes it harder is that her friend Marion doesn't understand. What makes it harder is that her employer and Agnes has a very strict code of ethics and she fears that if the scandal of what happened to her child ever came out that she might lose her job. What makes it harder is that a servant is onto her secret and is about to spill the bean to Aunt Agnes. What makes it harder is that she's going to have to actually come to Aunt Agnes herself with her secret. You can see. And what's the emotional need? The emotional need is for justice and for love, right? She wants justice because that that child was taken away from her. She wants justice for the child that deserves to be with its mother. And she wants love from that child and for that child, right? So we're connected to the emotional need. So notice that objectively, we would think the stakes over an abducted baby would be much higher than the stakes over a dinner party. But in the Gilded Age, we can actually feel the same level of stakes for both of these extremely different plot events, right? We can feel the same level of stakes because we know what the character wants. The character's trying to get it. We make it hard. We make it harder. We're connected to the emotional need. And this is where stakes come from. If you're getting a lot out of this podcast, please rate and review us on Apple. Follow us on Spotify. Share the episode with your friends. You are our marketing and it makes such a difference when you help us spread the word. Finally, to bring this to a philosophical level. If you're having trouble finding stakes in your own life, you can use the same process. If you're having trouble rooting for yourself as a character, which is really what people are saying when they say raise the stakes, what they're really saying is, I'm having trouble rooting for this character. I'm having trouble caring about this character. I'm having trouble understanding what matters to this character. I'm having trouble feeling empathy for this character. So if you're having trouble finding empathy and connection for yourself, if you feel stuck in your life, if you feel like you can't quite feel the stakes, see what happens if you follow the steps. Do you know what you want? And if you don't know what you want, well, don't get stressed out about it. Look around the room. Find something small enough. It might just be a staple remover. Find something small enough that you can pursue it now. Number two, are you taking active steps to get it, right? Are you just wanting it in your head? Or are you actually taking the steps you need to get what you want? Number three, this is an interesting one. Make it hard. Um, 
Now, I'm not trying to say that you should make things impossible for yourself, right? I'm not saying that you should self-sabotage. Of course not. No. If it's easy and it's, you know, you've got the fruit right on the vine and you want it, take it. But if you want to feel a feeling of stakes in your life, if you want to feel a feeling of change in your life, right, you can't only be taking the low-hanging fruit, right? Take the low-hanging fruit, but ask yourself, what would be a slightly bigger challenge? What would actually test me? What would actually push me out of my comfort zone? What would force me to make new choices that I haven't made before? And you'll notice when you start to do that, that you start to root for yourself, that you start to feel stakes for yourself. You start to feel empathy for yourself and movement in yourself that you actually start to find structure. Number three, make it harder, right? We think in life that that obstacles are like the bad things that get in our way and that if we only had what we want, we would have meaning or love or comfort or justice or one of these emotional needs. But the opposite is actually true. It is not the object. It's not the stable remover that gives you justice. It is the pursuit of the staple remover that meets or sometimes doesn't meet the emotional need. And it is the pursuit of the object, whatever it is, and the wrestling with obstacles that actually reveals who you really are to yourself and gives meaning and stakes to your life. So make it hard and then ask yourself, like, what would be a fun way to do this? What would be a more challenging way to do this? What would be a way that would test me a little bit more? What would be a way to do this that would give it a little twist that made it uniquely me? And you'll find that when you add that little layer of extra challenge for yourself, that whether it's in your writing or in your personal life, you will find that suddenly you start to find wonderful things that you have never found before and that you start to experience aspects of yourself that you didn't know were there, that you stop making the choices that you would have expected and start making new choices that kind of break you out of who you believe yourself to be. And number five, connect to the emotional need. When you're connected to your emotional need, you can connect to this kind of Zen state where even as you're pursuing the tangible object, you realize that the the end point is not actually what really matters. What actually matters is the emotional need underneath. And in that way, we can start to get cre- more creative about how we get our emotional needs met. Once we realize that every object, whether it's a staple remover or your father's love, right? That every object that we are pursuing is really just a metaphor for an emotional need underneath. And once we get in touch with that emotional need underneath, we can get super creative about how those emotional needs get met rather than being stuck on the same objects for our entire life. So I hope this podcast was helpful for you. If it was, please like, follow, click the bell to get alerted of new episodes and write a comment I'd love to hear your thoughts and happy writing. We have so many awesome classes coming up at the studio. Write your screenplay on April 20th, where we learn the foundations of 7X structure and how to build a screenplay and a writing life in an organic, intuitive way. Write your TV series, where we look at the greatest TV shows ever written, TV comedies, TV dramas, dramedies, miniseries, and we take the lessons from those incredible shows to understand the engine of a TV show and how to build a pilot and a Bible for your own original series that captures that engine and that hook. 
That class starts on May 2nd and both Write Your TV and Write Your Screenplay both include a one-on-one -on -one consultation with a professional writer who will look at your work and give you personalized, specific feedback on your writing to help you take the next step in your career. Write Your Play. This class starts up on May 4th with Lisa Dunmore, one of my mentors and one of the most uh, extraordinary playwrights uh, that you could ever study with. She's a Broadway playwright. She used to run the MFA program at Brown. We are so lucky to have her here where you can study with her for such an affordable rate. Um, she's extraordinary. If you're a playwright, you want to check out that class on May 4th comic book writing with the legendary Ron Mars. If you've ever picked up a comic, you know who Ron Mars is. Um, if you want to learn how to write your own comic, or if you want to build your craft muscles as a screenwriter, or if you're looking to develop a leave-behind document that's really unique and original, you will leave this class with a six-page comic that you can easily produce. And uh, a lot of our writers have used these comics as leave-behinds when they go in to pitch their screenplays. Having a piece of IP underneath it can be a really valuable thing. It's also an incredible place to really build your craft and learn how to tell stories efficiently using images, whether you're a comics writer or a TV or screenplay writer. So check it out. That class starts on June 22nd. My master class, um, if you've taken the foundation classes, this is the class where we take your writing to the professional level. It's an extraordinary group. It's one full Sunday a month. Imagine getting grad school at a tiny fraction of the price with a bunch of the best writers you'll ever meet. This class will meet you anywhere you are. You just have to take the foundation classes first. Um, we'll meet you if you're a beginner, if you're an intermediate writer, if you've been doing this for a long time, we'll meet you where you are. And the class grows together over time. And our goal is to take every single writer in that room to the professional level. Uh, that class is also with me. And the next masterclass starts up on May 1st. And finally, ProTrack. ProTrack is our one-on-one -on -one mentorship program where we pair you one-on-one -on -one with a professional writer who meets with you every week or every other week, reads every page you write, every draft you complete, and helps you build not only a rhythm as a writer, but gives you mentorship for your entire career from the very beginning steps all the way through your professional experience. It's an incredible program. It's shockingly affordable. So if you want to find out more about any of these programs, check out our website, writeyourscreenplay.com.